listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, on today's episode, I thought we would talk about what it costs to remove crabgrass from my backyard. Ooh, I love talking about lawns. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're... We're actually going to talk about value propositions, but I'm going to start with a story about value propositions that I just had in the last couple of days. I'm looking out at my backyard the other day, and I've been trying to grow grass in the backyard for a while, and we have a lot of crabgrass growing, a lot of weeds. So I turned to my 10-year-old and said, hey, you want to make a couple bucks? He said, yeah, sure. We want me to do. So I want you to go out in the backyard and weed the yard. He says, okay. He said, what are you willing to pay? I said, I don't know. What do you think it's worth? So he said, oh, what do you say to six or seven dollars? I said, okay, that's fair. I'll pay six dollars to go weed that backyard. All right. So then a couple minutes later, my soon-to-be 12-year-old runs up and says, wait a minute, what's going on? I said, well, I'm paying you know your brother six dollars to go weed the backyard. He said, well, I can do it better. I can do it faster. I'm stronger than he is. I'll do it faster and I'll charge you $10. And I said, well, time out. What's your value proposition? So I asked him the question. I said, what are you trying to tell me? He says, well, I can do it faster than he can. I said, well, I don't need it faster. I just need it done right. He said, well, I can do it better than he can. I said, well, how do you qualify better? So then I challenged him a little. I said, what's the problem with your strategy here? He said, I don't know. I said, well, you never asked me what I thought I wanted or needed. So how do you know what the value proposition, what is the value to be delivered? So that's my story on value propositions. And ultimately, we netted out on a solution in which there was a revenue share amongst all three boys and based on outcomes of their work. (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes. There's such an irony in that story. And I'm not sure which way the irony flows is that value proposition should be understandable by kids (laughs) or kids should be developing the value propositions. So people actually understand what they are, what they are. That's hilarious. I love that. And they all did it manually. They got out there and dug up those weeds. Oh yeah. They had to go out there and they had to to do it by hand. And part of the story that I missed out on was where he said something along the lines of that he was stronger. I mentioned that he was stronger than his brother. And I said, well, well, why does that matter? I don't need strength. I just need you to pull the weeds. Right. And so he kind of looked at me and, and it made him realize, again, the feature of his service that he was trying to put forward was not a superior feature because it wasn't deriving a superior benefit. And, and it was really fun to watch because he, he pivoted like left and right three times in about 30 seconds. I mean, he explored every possible angle he could get to get that sale. And <laughs> the end, we, we opted for a collaborative approach. So enough of that. We're going to talk about value propositions and how they relate to firm marketing and, and maybe B2B marketing in general. So where do you want to start other than my backyard? Well, maybe it makes sense to get everybody on the same page. Talk a little bit about the definition of a value prop because people throw that word out a lot. Yeah, well, you know, in prep for this, we talked about this and, you know, we both looked it up as a matter of fact. We both said, wait a minute, what, what is a value proposition? What does that even mean? And we both looked it up and we both found a Wikipedia reference on this. And it was it was stemmed back to an article published by McKinsey in 1988 titled A Business as a Value Delivery System, which at the time was probably a pretty revolutionary concept. But the definition that they put forth then that I liked, which which relates back to my story, was a value proposition is a clear, simple statement of benefits, both tangible and intangible, that the company will provide along with the approximate price it will charge each customer segment for those benefits. So at least according to Wikipedia, I didn't find the reference article, but that was the definition of, of, of a value proposition when the term was coined 
back in the 80s. To me, I thought there was a couple of key things to pull out there. One was simple statement, benefits, both tangible and intangible, and price. I thought those were the three parts of the equation as it was framed originally, which incidentally for me made me realize that I I don't think too many firms actually have very good value propositions. If If that's the true structure of a value proposition, how many firms deliver all three of those things in a in a nice wrapped bow? Very few. Very few. Well, leave it to McKinsey to rename something that already exists <laughs> and take to the market and get businesses to to pay for it. And boy, we have used this word a lot, haven't we? Value proposition. So McKinsey labels this thing value proposition. But really, it's nothing new. One might even argue, and maybe we could talk about it for a few minutes, is, you know, what's the difference between a value proposition or a brand's positioning or a salesperson's, you know, kind of unique selling proposition or positioning? To me, they all sound essentially the same, don't you think? I don't know. Tell me in your mind what a unique selling proposition is or what a brand positioning is in this context. Well, in my years of developing value propositions as a CMO and as a consultant, normally those get done because the market is not understanding marketing messages and partners or, you know, the sales team want to get the message cleaner. And normally that comes back to, well, we need a value proposition. And when I use those terms, value proposition or unique selling positioning or brand positioning, they're all overlapping. You know, again, going back to my trite use of then diagrams, they overlap one another. It depends on how complex the organization is, to what degree those circles begin to separate. But if I were to provide, you know, a hierarchy, I'd probably say it's brand positioning, value proposition, and then unique selling position. In my head, I map them to different parts of what's happening in a firm. So to me, the brand positioning or the brand is tied to the firm. You know, I would argue most a practice doesn't really have a brand per se. Mm. I mean, it, it kind of does, mm-hmm. but not really, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like McKinsey has a brand, but the strategy practice or the corporate finance practice doesn't really have a brand. It's a practice. The practice has a value proposition that proposes to explain that the problems that the practice is built to solve. And the unique selling proposition ultimately should be the domain of an individual client and an individual deal. So to your right, it's sort of like it's a it's a hierarchy, you know, broadest to most narrow. Um, and the you know the I mean, maybe the one piece of that McKinsey definition that we described that doesn't really totally make tons of sense at the practice level is the pricing piece, where the idea of well, you know, should a firm really be marketing pricing information, you know, at a at a practice level? Probably not. I mean, pricing should probably be reserved for conversations that occur at the selling level. I would imagine. Well, unless it's a pricing model where you're value pricing or bringing something to the table that actually offers value in how you do price it. And by that, I don't just mean the cheapest, but there are all different kinds of ways of pricing that can add value. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, specifics versus conceptual, right? Like I think about there's a firm here in town, it's a IT services firm that 
takes like 16-year revenue share agreements on all their deals. And so they don't do any fee-for-service work. It's all early-stage startup, and they take a 16-year contract where they get a piece of the revenue over 16 years. They, you know, and, and that's relatively public, right? Because it's not, you know, that's the business model. Hence, it's the value proposition, right? It's sort of like low upfront investment with us in exchange for a long tail. A lot of times that stuff happens behind the scenes in a value conversation, but it's not public in a, in a value proposition. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, to me, a value proposition, when you think about the three things you described, is something that is marketed outwardly to the market, you know, firm to market or practice to market versus a selling mm-hmm. proposition feels more one-to-one. You know, I mean, it flexes mm-hmm. to the specific needs of the client, the specific opportunity. It's, you know, you're navigating through how you're going to help the client and the problems they have and the, and the solutions you're going to bring to bear. And it's more specific and more narrow. And so I don't know if that helps, but that's, that's how I would reconcile the three. So it's an interesting point that you make there. In my experience, firms tend to get lost in value proposition development and start confusing those three levels. Somebody that may not be good at selling blames it upstream on, you know, a practice or the firm's value proposition and therefore feels we have to rework everything above us. And when firms have trouble with value propositions, more often than not, it is because they're confusing cause and effect. And that's when things kind of get confusing, I think, throughout the firm and potentially for for clients as well. But you said something that struck me. And I wonder if we have listeners who are thinking the same thing, that you say a value proposition is something that's offered externally. I would argue that a lot of firms, and particularly firms that have multidisciplinary capability, they're developing value propositions internally. And particularly if those are types of firms that are structured around key accounts or account ownership, and they feel like you know, individual partners or practices have to create a value proposition that speaks to the gatekeeper of their firm who has the relationships with a potential client. So all of a sudden, now you have two value propositions. You know, here's what your client gets. Oh, by the way, here are the benefits to you, my partner, my coworker, for bringing me in to your client. And now you've got this mix of value propositions that that start to create, you know, more chaos. And I want to pivot here. We can come back to that if if you want. But the question that firms often do not answer or don't understand in my mind is the definition of value. You know, we have this value proposition. What's the value that we offer? But nine times out of 10, People or firms don't understand how clients, number one, define value and the weight or importance that they put on a particular definition of value. Would you agree? Do you have the same sense? Yes. I'll define value in this particular context as being a combination of problems and benefits, meaning that a lot of times they know what the client bought as a solution, but they're not really clear on the central problem that the solution was bought for. And a lot of times they don't have mm-hmm. a complete context on the benefits of what was sold. And that's the ultimately the, the derivation of value. I mean, the one thing about value that we know from substantive research on value is that it's entirely within the eye of the beholder. I mean, the old phrase, right? So 
that what is valuable to one client is not valuable to the next. And so ultimately, if you really are a value-driven organization, meaning that you're trying to build a creative client value, then really the way that that value is determined is a function of the way the sales conversation is had. So you could actually probably make the argument that the notion of a value proposition above a client level is virtually impossible because every client has a different set of value drivers. And that only comes out of a sales conversation, right? So can you say that again? Say that again for our listeners. The definition of a value proposition is, is I mean, I think if you look at the definition of the value proposition, it's a market facing thing. So I, I totally understand what you said about internal constituencies and the need to address that, especially in a really large, complex firm, right? That makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. But by definition, a value proposition is, uses the word customer for a reason, right? So it's targeting a customer, but every single client has different value drivers. And ultimately, if you truly embrace value creation and value-based pricing as a firm, then the only way to do that properly is to have meaningful conversations about the value to be created, which ultimately is driven entirely by the client's point of view on the value that they want to unlock. And so it's extrapolating that out to a practice or a market technically is impossible <laughs> because value is subjective. Yeah, but but that's the whole key. And That's where most firms, I find, go awry. They think like an elevator pitch that there's a one size fits all or we can group it into, you know, kind of three overarching value drivers, if you will. But it just it just doesn't work that way. (laughs) And what might be a value in with this client and this firm? on this opportunity could be very different than how value is defined with the same company, the same firm in a different opportunity. And that's why, you know, the cascading down of those, those various propositions, you know, the brand positioning, the value proposition and the unique selling position are, are so important to understand in terms of the type of messages, the types of questions that are exchanged in those situations and in each situation, in each communication or interaction. When, you know, when I work with clients, I find, and this is really hard for people to get, but if we really put ourselves into the shoes of a buyer, there are, I've found three buckets of overarching value. For business to business. Now, this is business to business. B2C is something totally different. But a firm is either going to, is trying to grow. So growth is one. They're trying to increase profit, which means increase efficiency. So take out cost, increase production. So efficiency is a second bucket. And then the third is something I would call financial. It's about having these assets tied up and having them produce more for every dollar invested. So, I mean, that's reducing, you know, the cost of capital, increasing working capital, turnover of inventories, reducing AR, and any number of of things related to, to financial management. But that is the starting point for every value proposition on a company and buyer wide basis. I agree with that. I mean, those are your three macro drivers, but just to make sure we're clear, it's revenue growth, it's cost Mm -hmm. production, efficiencies, 
which mm-hmm. ultimately would lead mm-hmm. to more profit mm-hmm. on the same revenue. And the third is a macro group mm-hmm. of financial things. So yeah, I conceptually agree with all three. It's a good, simple way to look at the world, right? To say like, you know, as a business, these are the thing, three things that you can do great value for your clients, three ways you can create value. You know, one of the things I, I like to look at a lot is just problems. I say this all the time, and you heard me say it earlier in this podcast. I just find so frequently firms just do not understand the problems that their clients have that they're buying their solutions to solve. And getting to the heart of that, to me, is essential to defining any one of those things. Because a lot of times, they think the solution is bought for one reason, and it's bought for a whole different reason, right? You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Yeah, just throwing out real quick, you know, and we're, I know we're short on time, but is there a fourth one around risk reduction? Just is that a fourth driver that, that or is it does it lump into one of those other three? I mean, even right now, you look at like there's a lot of consulting services getting bought and sold right now around trying to reduce risk in the supply chain, reduce risk across the enterprise as it relates to what we've seen play out in a pandemic situation. Ooh, that's a great point. I am just fascinated by the concept of of risk and business risk in particular. And to me, you've hit on something very important in developing value propositions. And that's what's your point of view or perspective on a particular issue. And I see this a lot with the SaaS clients I work with because you have software providers who started out, you know, maybe in one particular feature or functional area and then build out from a modular perspective around that core. Then you have a, another software firm that takes one of the first firm's modules. That was their core, but now they've added on something that complements that. So firms come at problems from very different perspectives. You know, if you look at something like risk, you could argue that risk is the singular Mm -hmm. value driver and you either want to reduce it or you want to identify it and exploit it. And when you're reducing risk in your example, in terms of the supply chains, you're really talking about managing your ability to produce, you know, produce income to achieve your goals. And, And some people will look at that and say, well, to reduce the risk, I need to diversify. I need to bring these in or, you know, I need to change my part suppliers or have some backup part suppliers. But the way you describe that, it's just so critical. You know, if you just look at something like growth, there are going to be a lot of things standing in the way of a firm's ability to grow or a company's ability to grow. Some people may define it as, well, it's a marketing problem. Some people may define it as a sales problem. So I may define it as a a product or an R&D problem. The value that you're going to offer on growth is going to come from your core capabilities and your point of view on growth through that lens. I don't know that most firms think that way. They jump right down into, as you said, we're an audit firm, we audit. And I think, you know, if, if you think about an audit, what is somebody buying? Oh, you're asking when, when a company buys an audit? Yeah. What, what are you buying? 
I think ultimately you're buying assurance for creditors. You're buying risk reduction for your creditors or you're buying risk reduction for you as the owners and operators that you're, you know, looking for improprieties inside your system, right? Right. So you're buying the ability to buy the ability to, to borrow on one lap, borrow money, right? So, so you really, you, you could ostensibly not care about methodology or anything like that as long as the company who signs off on the audit says, yes, it's okay to, to lend to this company. That's what you're buying. You're just buying the, <laughs> you're not buying any of that other stuff. Just sign off on this. So when I need money, I could go get it. But if you said that to an auditor, they'd be insulted, wouldn't they? Well, they would. And it's funny. It kind of brings me full circle. And maybe it's an interesting place to, to move to rap, which is it just reminds me of my opening story, right? That was my pushback to my son was, I don't care how fast it's done. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how hard you work. All I care is that it gets done correctly. And so it was in that instance, he wasn't thinking, you know, he's 12. <laughs> he wasn't thinking through. He wasn't <laughs> thinking about what are the drivers of value for me? and why I'm hiring this task to be done, right? And I feel like that's the same thing that happens in that audit story, right? Because <laughs> they're not thinking about why the client's actually buying the audit in the first place. It's funny, is it, I'll, and I'll get us closer to close. Years ago, we do a financial review with our CPA every year. It's, it's not a it's not a full on audit. It's it's some tier down from that. And we talked about this once, and he really couldn't articulate to me why I needed a financial review versus an audit versus nothing. He really didn't have an answer to what the difference between one or the other was, or why you might want it or not want it. And to, like you said, to him was mostly about the cost of input. What are the inputs into the process for him, and what was that going to cost me in return? It wasn't about why would I want one or the other. It wasn't, you know, but you want an audit if you're going to go raise capital or you want a financial review if you want to, you know, apply for credit at your bank or, you know, that answer wasn't, you know, at the tip of his tongue, which just goes back to your mm -hmm. point of like a lot of the practitioners, the delivery mechanisms of these services, the people that do this work just aren't real clear on, on why the work is getting bought in the first place. They just know how to do it well. Well, they are doing what you say, you know, their solution in search of a problem. And for me, and, and this is maybe kind of a derivative of, of the definition that you gave earlier, but the simple way to think about a value proposition to me is, you know, you have to fill in three blanks. We help whom? Who's your ideal client? And you have to get specific because as we've talked about, people look at growth or efficiency or risk from very different perspectives. And you need to understand that ideal client and how they define the problem. And there will be a set of strategic CFOs or strategic CIOs or unstrategic CFOs or CIOs that will define problems differently and have different capacity for implementing certain types of solutions. So you have to get very clear on the ideal client so you help what ideal client to and then fill in the value and be very specific about the value, grow, cut costs, reduce risk and say it in their words, not your words. And the only way you're going to know their words is if you've done the really hard work of understanding the client, not a buyer persona, but the client themselves. And then the third is buy, you know, we help ideal client to value buy and you have to fill in the how. 
and how we're going to do that. And if you can get that, you'll be so much better than 90% of the firms. But I would caution two things. One, one size does not fit all. So you can't speak that. That's the top of the iceberg. There's a lot more conversation, as we said, brand positioning, value prop, unique selling proposition below the, the water line. And second, I know you have this, a list of words that should be avoided. Well, that adjectives, adverbs, and verbs that you shouldn't use. Do you want me to rattle them off? Yeah, I'd love to hear. Do you, well, do you have some that you avoid? Yeah, I mean, I have a list. I mean, it's client-centered, on time, on budget. Oh, God. Yeah. Partners, partnership, faster, cheaper, better solutions. Actually, help. Help is a word that we try to avoid <laughs> if we can. It's, just, it's a weak word. It doesn't imply that you're solving the problem. It's sort of like you're going to help me solve the problem. You're not really going to solve it. I'd rather see you solve it once and for all. It's a hard word to avoid because to your point, it's 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 sort of you know baked into the way you frame a value proposition in the first place. That's a short list anyway. It is. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great piece of, of feedback. And you know why people put help in there? And because I agree with you that it is a weak word, but most firms say, well, we can't do it on our own. You know, we can't come in here and just fix this and just do this. We, you know, we need we need to work collaboratively to solve it. So I get that the word that I absolutely <laughs> hate, hate. This is my number one word is strive. We strive to, because it, unlike help, it says we strive to. We never get there, but we strive to. It is just the absolute worst word in a value proposition. Trust, trusted advisor, this kind of yeah. is like your partner or partnership. Never add trust to your value proposition. You don't get to label yourself that way. Just like you don't really get to label yourself as thought leader or industry leader unless, unless you have some proof point that says you are the leader, you know, and the leader means the biggest more often than not. Integrated is another word. Oh, gosh. Clients don't buy integrated. They really don't. They might say, yeah, it was nice that, you know, you brought in this other practice and they helped out, but they're not buying integrated. They're buying solutions. So world-class, state-of-the-art, cutting edge, those type of things. Try to keep as many adverbs and, and adjectives out as possible. Don't use words like optimize, utilize. <laughs> I don't know. I could get, I could, I could keep going. Yeah. What words can you use? But, but, you know, may, maybe closing thoughts would be just, if you're actually trying to derive a value proposition, you're in the process of doing it. The thing I always come back to is, is simple is usually better. You know, so anytime you're using language that's, that's complex and requires extra cognition, is there an easier way to say it? Is there a simpler word, a word that's more concrete, that's simpler? I mean, I, What's cognition? I know um, EBITDA was, was one that I went on with a client. You know, it's like, yeah, I, business owners don't know what EBITDA is, but why can't we just call it profit? I don't know what cognition is. You know, I mean, well, you don't know what cognition is. <laughs> 
I've said that about you for uh, 84 episodes. <laughs> On that note, we are well past our allotted time. So we do need to take this to wrap. This was really good. It was a combination of introspective and thinking about kind of concepts of value, concepts of value proposition, and then also a little prescriptive there at the end. So hopefully listeners found value in both halves of the conversation in terms of, you know, the, the concept of value proposition and then of course the practicality of driving one you know it pains me to say it but you picked a pretty good topic today <laughs> well good good and welcome back all right talk to you next week hey, buddy. thank you for listening to rattle and pedal divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com rattle and pedal is also available on itunes and stitcher 